Uh, right now, I'd like to introduce our speaker, uh, Aaron Wiley. He um, has 15 years of experience as an associate pastor and five years as a teaching pastor. Uh, he and his wife, Janelle, also, their connection to East Bay Calvary Churches, they grew up and met at East Bay Calvary Church. And so I'd like to um, be honored to welcome Aaron up to speak for us. Well, good morning. If you're like me, you might struggle with patience. Patience, patience, patience. Listen, we live in a culture that breeds everything against being patient. Fast food restaurants are at our every corner that we ever need. And not only are fast food restaurants there, but there are now not just one line, but there's two lines, maybe even three or four lines to get your food to you as fast as possible. When I think of impatience, can I just use the word road construction? <laughs> Ugh, what about just Cherry Festival through Traverse City? Oh my goodness. Uh, my family and I have moved back here after 20 years of being away. On a side note, someone asked me already, are all those kids yours? No, these are not all my kids. We have kids, my kids in here, five of them, and some cousins mixed in as well. But when we think about patience, even when I think of a father, Man, it is hard to be patient. Life just breeds impatience. And maybe I just say that about myself, but I think you can relate. How about this? I don't know how many of you order stuff off Amazon, but if it's Amazon Prime to be here in two days, pretty much any time I need something in two days, it feels like it's two weeks before I see it. We live in a culture that doesn't breed patience. When I think of just struggling on waiting, struggling on getting things done fast, things are for our convenience, they are for ourselves. When I think of being sick, I want to be healed quickly. When I am struggling with singleness, I want to be in a relationship. When I lose a job, I want to know immediately how I'm going to get that next job. When a church is looking for another pastor, ugh, it takes too long. When you've been hurt in ministry, it's hard to be patient. When we are in relational conflict, we want it resolved yesterday. And how about this one? We are in a, when we are in a spiritual battle, we do not like it. We are impatient people, both in life and in spiritual life. Anything that causes us to have our lives to be tweaked outside of our ideal plan, we can get frustrated. Can anyone, by the show of hands, relate to this this morning? Okay, if you aren't, I would say you are lying to me, okay? Most people struggle with some areas of being impatient. I even saw some two-handers up there, so we like fully engaged, and yes, it's me. I saw you back there. You can't you can't slip anything by. Thankfully, in God's word, there's a passage of scripture that encourages us to be patient in the midst of suffering. So if you're a Bible reader, if you have the physical Bible, or if you're a Bible apper, whatever you might be, if you want to turn to James chapter 5, that's where we're going. Uh, the, the, the verses will be on the screen behind me. Uh, but before we get much further, let's have a word of prayer. Dear God, what an awesome start to the morning to have a time of worship 
to be so encouraged to hear lives that are taking a public step of faith. And I pray that this body of believers will, will be supporting in baptism. But God, as we take a few moments in your word, we pray that our hearts will be ready to hear what you want us to hear. That we won't just hear it and consume it, but that we will do something about it. That we will choose to obey something you are asking us to do. So God, allow the Holy Spirit to convict us as we hear your word and allow us to obey throughout the week. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read James chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 7 and go all the way through verse 11. Here we go. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. There's two simple things that if you're just looking at a 30,000 foot view that we can grab from this passage of scripture. The two things are this, you will go through struggles, you will go through trying times, and you will probably not be patient in it. So again, I think many of us can relate to this, but I think it's helpful that we take a step back and we look at why does this book of the Bible, James, have the permission to say these to the people that it's written to? Okay, so let me just give you a quick snapshot into the book of James. I love to know why things make sense. James is probably the author of Jesus. I mean, the author. James, the author, is probably the brother of Jesus. Okay, that's what most scholars would say, that James would be the brother of Jesus. Here's what's interesting and I find absolutely phenomenal. James did not become a follower of Jesus, the Messiah, his brother, until Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Imagine with me this. How many of you have brother, a brother or a sister that you grew up with or you've had? You have a sibling. Imagine one of your siblings was perfect. Imagine an angel appeared to your mom and dad and said, this is the future Messiah, and one of your children, James, didn't believe that he was the Messiah. Well, family conflict? <laughs> um, that's tough. James witnessed for approximately 30 years of his life a perfect man, God, Jesus, yet never believed in him. That's crazy. But Jesus, being the compassionate father of our heart that he is, appeared to James. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, and he sa it says, then he appeared to James, then to the apostles after his death, burial, and resurrection. 
And when James became a follower of Jesus, he was all in. I mean, he came up, became a leader of the church. Uh, unfortunately, James even died for his faith in the church. I mean, James was all in. It just took him a while to get there. One of the reasons I appreciate the book of James is it's practically really simple, but it's theologically very deep. And so if you're someone who might be new to the faith, someone who just doesn't know what to read, and you're like, I don't know what else I can do this week, if there's one area of obedience I'd say to you, read the book of James this week, okay? That's one little hint. If you don't know what to do by the end, read the book of James. It's a great book. Here's what's helpful for you to understand, that the people that this is written to are people that have been dispersed. Okay, let me read James 1, 1 to you. It says, James, a servant of God, the author, it says, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in dispersions, greeting. Okay, these people in Jerusalem had been dispersed, kicked out of their homes, kicked out of their communities. They are now in a different area, Palestine. They are being told everything that they believe in is wrong. Yet, James the author continues on in verse two, and listen to what he says, count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. But God, we don't want to be tested. (laughs) That's what I say. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James is reminding these people, and as we are being reminded today, that we are to be steadfast and hold on when the times are tough. We can have a hope in the resurrection of our Jesus because, listen, you might be in a hard season as a church or you personally or in your home, but we have something different than the world has. Amen? Okay, so there are some things that I want you to understand. Here's one. God wants us to learn that we can be patient even in the midst of difficult situations. Who likes to be patient in the midst of difficult situations? Uh, Nobody. Okay, we ha-ha laughed about road construction being hard. That's not even a difficult situation, and we struggle in that patience. Or maybe I do. Maybe you don't. So we struggle with the little stuff, and James is saying, hold on. Be patient in the big stuff. You're going to see this three different times throughout the message. Those who learn patience find the fullness of God even in the worst of suffering. So let me ask you, church, do you desire the fullness of God in your life? Is it something that we desire? If you know anything about me, I enjoy expository preaching. Simply put, I like to take verses and teach through them. And so that's what we're going to do today. Let's launch back into verse 7 as we talk about uh, this passage of Scripture that we read. Be patient, the Lord is coming. Verse 7, I'm going to read the first part. It says, be patient, therefore, brothers. By the way, if you're newer to the Scripture or you just don't always know why it says brothers, when you just understand what that, it's just saying people of God. It's not talking to the men. It's just saying brothers, people of God. That's the way it is written. Uh, so it says, be patient, therefore, brothers, the part of the family of God, until the coming of the Lord. I found this really interesting that the people that James was writing to were encouraged 
to be reminded of the coming of the Lord. I mean, be patient because the Lord is coming. That means that they are saying, dear Jesus, come back, please, anytime. We're going through such a hard time. I would ask each of us, I asked my own heart, when have we desired that the Lord return? I would guess by maturity, um, some of us have desired that. We've been through enough in life, we've said, Lord Jesus, come back, please. Some of us are still pretty happy where we are. God, don't come back. I want to get married first. I want to make a million dollars. I don't know what you would want. But these group of people, man, they are like all out hope. Dear God, please come. We need you now. And James, the author, is saying, oh, be patient. You know what that patience is defined as? This is tough, by the way. Patient in this verse literally means to stay put and stand fast when you'd like to run away that's painful to me. Ah, oh, through the hard times, be patient. Oh. I don't like that at all. I'll be honest. I mean, I want it resolved yesterday. Ugh. Ooh, that was a little loud, sorry. Do you realize that when you go through hardship and difficulties, sometimes God is shaping us through those hard times. It's not that we have to look forward to hard times, but it is a reminder that even in this world that is tough, listen, Satan is constantly at work, we have God that is strengthening us through difficult times. Amen? So then the scripture passage continues on and it uses three examples. Let me read the first. There's a farmer, a prophet, and Job. We're still in verse seven, the end of it. It says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient. I just lost my place here. Hold on. Being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. The farmer. I don't know how many of you know farmers, but if you are an agricultural farmer, you grow stuff, you best be patient. You have no control over just about everything that you're trying to do. You can help improve it. But listen, if the farmer can't control the weather, if you have too much rain, you get root rot. If you have too much sun, it wilts your plants. If you have the the rain at the wrong time, your seeds are washed away. If you have frost at the wrong time, it kills your crop. You have to cultivate the ground. And the people then, I mean, the people this was written to, Oh, rocky soil. Like, if you complain around northern Michigan about the soil we have, they would love it. So why does the farmer wait so long to bear the crop, patiently waiting? You know why? Because the harvest is precious, and he knows it. That precious fruit is so important. So why do we wait so long on the Lord? because his harvest in our lives is precious fruit. Let's continue on in verse eight. The idea is be patient. God is accomplishing something in you. I love this. You also, the verse says, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The Bible almost always, or specifically in the New Testament, is oftentimes painting pictures to help you visualize what it's trying to say. 
It is talking about a spiritual farmer. God will send the right amount of weather in our lives to produce a spiritual harvest. So what is the crop we want to have in our lives? I think if we could think of myself or yourself as a tree, God's word talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, let's read, I'll read to you Galatians 5, through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Do we produce love? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. You can only enjoy patience in suffering if you have an established heart of patience while in suffering. Let me say this again. Those who learn patience find the fullness of God even in the worst of suffering. Verse 9 talks about being patient. God is the final judge. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, family of God, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Listen, church, you know this, but I'm going to step on your toes a little bit. We, the church, not just East Bay, most, many churches, we kind of get in arguments over ticky-tack stuff, just this little stuff, and Satan loves division. And this verse just reminding us, listen, God's the final judge, so we can back off some of the little stuff and just let God be God. I love this picture when it backs away from, or when you think of the farmer, and what a literal picture I have. When we lived in Pennsylvania about a year and a half ago, there was a barn that burnt down of this dairy farmer. And what we saw happen, and what, it was several, like a half mile away from our house, there was so many farmers that got to that house even before the fire department. The fire department had a hard time getting to the barn because the amount of farmers in southwestern Pennsylvania, once they heard, they stopped everything and they came. The state, co- the state police had to come because there was so many trucks and trailers on the road that to help to get these cows, these dairy cars, cows to the appropriate farms around the area. Guess what? Do I believe every one of those farmers was best friends? No. But what happened was there was a time of need and they set those things aside and we the church, when there's a time of need, need to set aside some differences and fully trust in God, our judge, that he will take care of the stuff we can't control anyways. And so like these farmers that came together, it's a beautiful picture, at least in my mind, as we as the church, trusting in God as the final judge. Let me say this again. Those who learn patience find the fullness of God, even in the worst of suffering. Verse 10 and 11. Let me read 10 first. It's talking about being patient. God's promises are true. Verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Let me just pause there real quick. James, when he was writing, would have never had to give a reminder of who the prophets were or what they did. But we might need the reminder. So prophets were people of God who prophesied. They told of the coming Messiah. They lived in Old Testament times, and they prophesied hundreds of years in advance of a truth that was going to happen. It's amazing. The statistical probability of these prophets to be able to do what they literally did through the power of God is statistically almost impossible. 
the amount of prophecy that happened with the accuracy that it did happen is absolutely improbable. Let me just give an example. Daniel, sometime before 500 BC, BC stands for before Christ, Uh, The prophet Daniel proclaimed that Israel's long-awaited Messiah would begin his public ministry. So Daniel's about 500 years in advance of it happening, and it did happen. Now, the verse speaks of an example of suffering and patience. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Let's just talk about this for a little bit. Prophets were, were were, were people sent by God. I mean, they were on the right side. They were like the good guys. They were people who were living righteous lives. They were telling the truth, yet they were going through significant suffering. Just a couple of examples. Um, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, is what, what is a term we would call him in theology. He had a hope and a warning that people of Israel would turn back to their, their God. Jeremiah, he was arrested as a traitor. He was thrown into an abandoned well to die, yet God protected him. He also protected him through sieges, attacks, all on the people of Israel because they had turned their back on God. And Jeremiah, we call him the weeping prophet because very few people in his lifetime, like I think two, maybe two, some say zero, actually turned and went towards God. He spent his entire life proclaiming truth and he never saw resolve. (laughs) Uh, That's painful. Daniel, he went through intense hard times. I mean, we know Daniel in the lion's den, like we get the end of the story. But I mean, Daniel, he's a prophet of God. He's been chosen by God to do great things for God, to speak the truth, and all Daniel's doing is praying. I mean, he's doing more than that, but what got him in the most trouble is that he wasn't praying to the right God. He gets thrown into a lion's den. Do you know the lion's den? I mean, they didn't just feed the lions all the time. They, they, They didn't just give them scrap food. They didn't feed them. So that when, they, when someone was thrown in the lion's den, these lions were starving. I mean, there was times when people didn't even get to the ground. They gone. I mean, these are hungry lions. And all of a sudden, Daniel gets thrown in there, boom, to the ground. Next morning, the king comes. Daniel, you in there? Yeah, the Dan- Daniel's still alive. The hope and the joy of serving God sometimes can be hard that we feel like we're about to be thrown into a lion's den. God says, be faithful. Today, don't give up hope if you're striving to live a righteous life and it seems like you can't catch a break. And maybe as a church, you just feel like, ugh, we're struggling. (laughs) I heard it today in testimony. But man, we've got so much hope that you can have because God is producing in you a fruit of righteousness, those who are steadfast and faithful. Hang on. So we want to be like the farmer who keeps on working. We want to be the prophet who keeps on proclaiming. And then let me read to you verse 11. It's about Job. Behold, we consider these blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the, the steadfastness of Job, 
You've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. How many of you know the gist of the story of Job? Just show of hands, just like the gist, right? I would never describe the Lord as being compassionate and merciful when I think of the story of Job. Like that's the end, but man, I think of Job when he had to go through so much. If you don't know the story, let me give you a quick synopsis. Job was known in his town and his community as a really good dude. I mean, he was righteous, he was a good husband, he was a good father, really great businessman. In fact, biblically, we would say Job is one of the wealthiest people of all time. We got Solomon and Job. They're like running for the race of who, who gets the most. I mean, Job was a good dude, and God blessed him financially. The two don't go together sometimes. But Job went through crazy pain, and he was a righteous man. I mean, it even says it in God's word. So the first several uh, chapters in the book of Job, verses one through three, we see Job going through crazy distress. He loses 10 of his kids to death. His wealth washed away. He went from being the most biggest, baddest guy in his community to nothing. He had his wife left with him, which that's a praise, but his wife told him, curse God and die. Way to go, wife. That was helpful, right? I mean, come on. And then we read through a pretty lengthy book of Job, 38 chapters 38 through 42, Job's discussing with three of his friends, debating about righteousness and whether Job has sinned so much in his life that God took everything away. And Job just debated and talked and said, no, I've been faithful. I've tried to do what's right. And finally, in the end, we see that God did humble Job. Then God honors Job and gives him twice of what he had before. Literally, the end of the story, he ends up with 10 children, 10 more children, doubles his wealth, and God showed compassion and mercy. So there's a lot we can learn from Job. There's a lot we can learn from the farmer. There's a lot that we can learn from the prophets. But what about you today? What can you learn in the season that you are in right now? You know, James is intending for us to learn something and obey something today. One of the things that I've been so encouraged with in my journey over the last several years of not just becoming a consumer, someone that comes to church, but someone who chooses to obey what the Holy Spirit is convicting us to do. So I ask each of you to search your hearts and your souls today to what are you to do with what you're hearing Maybe some of you heard the stories of baptism and you said, I've never publicly proclaimed. That's me. I need to do that. Praise God. Uh, maybe in worship you heard something. Maybe in the teaching of God's word. Maybe in prayer this morning. But what is it that God is asking you to do? If we just come and hear God's word being proclaimed, but we are not willing to obey an area that the Holy Spirit is convicting of us, we will never be people that need to be patient through times of suffering. 
like the farmer who patiently waited for the harvest, like the prophet who faithfully continued to proclaim God's word, and like Job who was faithful and steadfast in a season when everything was going wrong. What about you? What about this church? What about your families? I go back to James chapter one, verse two through four. Count it all joy, my brothers, my family of God, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Every one of us would like to be people that are steadfast, if you're a follower of Jesus. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if I could encourage you this week that you will be steadfast. Don't lose hope. <laughs> Our God is way too big to lose hope. We can look back at the Bible and see tons of examples of people that stayed steadfast, patient in the suffering. Patient in the suffering. Let us pray. Dear God, as we take a moment to listen to you, I pray that our hearts can be sensitive. Dear God, I, I don't know how you're working in each of our lives, but what I do know is that you are compassion and compassionate and merciful. And each of us are going through different seasons and different trials. Each of us are, are, are in our own unique uh, situation. And to be honest, God, if, if these people are like me, we're pretty impatient. So God, I pray that our hearts will become steadfast, that we will be willing to take the steps in our faith journey to allow us to be like Job, to be like the prophets, and to be like the farmer who can wait on you. Is it easy? No. Do we wanna quit? I say I do sometimes, God. But you're encouraging us today to not. And God, I think of someone who's sitting here with the numbers of people that are here, I almost can promise that someone is not a follower of Jesus. So if someone here today has never repented, has never recognized that they are a sinner, and they've never believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that they can pray a simple prayer, something like this. Dear God, I am a sinner. Dear God, I need a savior. Thank you for dying on the cross and raising again three days later. I want to be a part of your family. So God, if there's a new believer in the house or whatever age believer that we might have, I just pray that each of us 
will have found an area that you've convicted us to do and that this week we will obey. God, we thank you for being a God that is loving and compassionate and caring. We thank you that you are a God that knows exactly where we are, knows exactly what we need in the times and when we need it. But God, allow us to grow our faith that we can be a picture of who you are. God, we don't pray these things on our strength because we know we will fail. But we pray these in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen.